0: Before you even get a chance to do your fill in the blank, your sport, your craft, you first gotta show up. If they can't trust that you are going to be there and give your best, which first comes from showing up and being ready, then you leave room for a story to be developed. Create your own story that you want to be not only told, but more importantly, received by your audience.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. In this podcast, I interviewed Dr. Corey Smith, an emergency medicine physician, about his career journey and the challenges in the healthcare industry. Corey shares his unique story of how he became a doctor and what inspired him to pursue a career in emergency medicine. He also discusses the challenges he faced in his career, including managing difficult patients and maintaining that ever so challenging work-life balance. One of the key takeaways from this episode is Corey's emphasis on the importance of empathy and understanding in healthcare. He stresses the significance of treating patients with care and respect and how having empathy for people can improve patient outcomes. Corey also offers valuable advice for aspiring healthcare professionals, including the importance of building a personal brand and maintaining a positive reputation in the industry. Corey's insights and experience provide valuable guidance for anyone interested in pursuing a career in medicine or healthcare. Please sit back and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Corey Smith. Corey Smith, welcome to the show. I'm uh, excited to have you here today. We're going to learn a lot about you, your story, the keys to success, what's made you who you are. So why don't we start with just giving a quick overview of um, what
0: brings you here today?
1: What's your background?
0: Wow. Um, Thank you for having me, first of all. And uh, my background, that's a a nice open-ended question, which I love. My background is one that is pretty vast. I am one of many places, one of many people, kind of like uh, the origins or the background of being Jamaican. I'll throw that out where the flag represents the different colors uh, many people. Okay? We are we are one of many people. That's really what the motto of the Jamaican flag is or Jamaica is and that's really myself. You know, I am originally from Hartford, Connecticut. Inner City Hartford, Connecticut, the majority of the population being black in the North End, Puerto Rican in the South End, and Italian/Portuguese in another area. In the North End where I'm from, mostly Caribbean, primarily Jamaican. Um, And also, my dad is from the Connecticut area, also from New Britain, which is primarily Polish and uh, black, but very indigent, you know. Um, Yeah, that's where I'm from, you know. And uh, now living in New Jersey, came here at a nice, ripe young age of 16 to start college. And I look back and 30 years has flown by New Jersey.
1: So inner city, Connecticut. Today, New Jersey. You you, you kind of skipped some really important things that happened in between. Yeah. You, you mind filling yeah. The in?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about how I got here. What's now, here? Here to New Jersey and how I got here has been a very interesting path. Um, can, can, I, can I interrupt for one please, second? Please.
1: So, so you're how old? If you don't mind me asking.
0: Right now, I'm 45.
1: Okay. 45. MD. Yeah. Retired. Yeah. Technically, but still consulting yeah yeah quote-unquote right right
0: semi-retired yeah
1: semi-retired and and what did you do that put you in the position to retire
0: you know I planned if you put it into one word I planned and not I plan to retire I plan to have more control over my life and it's something that when you grow up in an environment where your family members and again please take no offense to anybody But you see what it's like to have no control, be it no control over your income, no control over your marriage, no control over the relationship with your kids. Having control and planning was always something that I guess indirectly but directly I found to be something that I needed to be important. I started school very early for some reason. I don't know because I don't remember somebody thought that I was gifted in some way. Um, the reason why I use that word is because I was put into a gifted and talented program uh, that was the first gifted and, gifted and talented program for the city of Hartford, Connecticut. The newest superintendent of schools came from New York city and she was working there. And my aunt who had just gotten out of college was a brand new teacher, had a good relationship with this person that just came in. And of course she wanted to, make her first mark. It was only for kids that were in kindergarten. And at that point, you had to be five. And I say at that point, because I honestly, as much as I have kids, I don't really know how old you have to be to be in kindergarten. The reason why I say that is I was only three years old. So I remember going through some testing, some IQ testing, I had to do some test, and I didn't know really what it was for. But at that age, at three, I was already reading. I could do math. My dad had done these things with me, and I wasn't from one of these families that everything was education and I had no fun. He just made learning fun. We drive the car, we look at a stop sign. What color is that, son? How do you spell that? How do you spell it backwards? And he just made everything really fun. That now, as a parent, I look back, and that was not only teaching, but it was bonding, but it's also establishing that foundation for planning. This is how you build your building called Corey. If you want to come to how your business called Corey.me. And as I started kindergarten, I was placed into first grade, but my parents thought it was a bit much, but I was placed into kindergarten at age age three. From that point, it lasted for all of a week. And the reason why I say that, I was in a public school system and a teacher within a week said, we don't, Really, have anything for your kid to do? He's bored. My parents, my mom, you know, just being that Caribbean mom, you know, the reason why I say that in Jamaica, if you want education, you have to pay for it. Sounds silly. There's no public education beyond that of seventh grade. And my mom always thought that for whatever reason, maybe the public school system here was just like that. So it wasn't an elitist thing. She said, Well, maybe we have to pay for it. And that's why they're telling us this. They thought they were being discriminated against, in that, well, there's nothing for your kid, even though I got into this program. They met a lady, Miss Richardson, um, who I, uh, Miss Deborah Richardson, to this day, I'm so, I have such gratitude for her, where she thought about starting a school, a charter school. Um, it's a parochial school, a seven day Adventist school. I'm not seven day Adventist, but this was this school that she was starting. And I was the inaugural class or one of the four kids in the first class of this school. The school is uh, in Hartford, you know, and uh, not a lot of money. We we're in a basement of a church, went from kindergarten to first grade, and essentially it went all the way until whatever grade we were in. By the time we got to fifth grade, Miss Blake, who I remember very well saying, again, we don't have anything here for your kid. He's bored, and I wasn't disruptive, but I was honestly, everything seemed easy because at fifth grade, I really felt that I knew these things, not because I was smarter. My dad, my dad, who who spent a lot of time with me, despite the fact that we, I'm always playing sports and doing. He spent a lot of time making learning fun to this day at seven o'clock. I watched Jeopardy with my kids. That's just what we do as a family. That's what I did then. And I look forward to it and end up going to a, a private school. Yet again, my parents, I watched the the battle, the arguments over going from this Yes, cost of the parochial school I schools at to a major cost of a private school. You know, at that point it was nine thousand dollars a year. Doesn't sound like much now, but just to put into perspective, that same school is forty-five thousand dollars a year. Pretty similar to a lot of the schools in our area here, and that school really afforded me an opportunity to develop who I am today and create and build upon that foundation. Um, Again, my mom feeling that you had to pay said, we'll work three jobs. We will figure it out because education is going to be the key to your success and open doors for you. So you graduated early, obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I uh, finished high school by the time I was 16. I started college at 16. And did you know right away you, you were going to be a doctor? For the most part, you know, it's either playing professional sports or being a physician. When I made that decision that I really wanted to be a physician, it was the summer of seventh and eighth grade. One of my many summers while, you know, spent in Jamaica. I spent pretty much every summer in Jamaica. And how, why medicine? The reason why I chose this had to do and It sounds... You know, outside of, yes, I love math and science, I knew early that I liked helping people, but more important, I realized that the lack of health care was something that has devastated my family to this day. And whether it is due to lack of funds, lack of knowledge, ignorance around their own health care, lack of caring of physicians about them in terms of being dismissive, I knew, and I, it was very clear to me that my family was suffering from the lack of healthcare. My grandfather, he died when I was three. I remember him vividly. I remember going to his funeral. I remember sitting on his lap. I remember sitting on his lap because he couldn't walk and he had no legs because he was diabetic. And I remember when he had two, then one, then none. Um, it's my paternal grandfather. I remember while I was in med school, my my grandfather, who was dismissed as this person who had any knowledge because he didn't speak loud, and they thought he couldn't speak because he had Parkinson's, but he also had a stroke. But they don't know the circumstances behind this great man who had a stroke because of stress, because he was robbed at gunpoint by people in our neighborhood. And these were many different experiences that, to this day, you can probably hear my voice that have really stamped my mind, my body. And for me, being able to help someone in their most vulnerable scenario when it comes to their health um the beauty of health care is that you can't buy your way out of that particular disease you can't buy your way out of that accident that mm-hmm. foot fracture that chest pain that you can't you may have access to better health care but that's also one reason why I became an emergency medicine physician. It's the great equalizer.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Emergency medicine, you know, we are like the blue-collar docs. We're the docs that most pe- most physicians don't want to be emergency medicine doctors. We do at the time when nobody else wants to, and we do what no what other doctor does. 10% of emergency medicine is real clinical care. Again, you need to know what you're doing. You need to know a lot about a lot, but 90%... Is about just being relatable, having people skills because that person doesn't have the ability to put on their Gucci sweater and come in with their wallet full of money and their bank account. None of that matters. What weight they are, their race, their clinical acumen, their their education, are they a PhD? It, it doesn't matter. They're on that gurney. They're on that stretcher. And what they need is your help. If I'm wearing my Gucci shoes and my Gucci tie and slacks because I'm a plastic surgeon and I want to make sure that patient has trusted me because I look the part to help him or her feel good, it doesn't matter. What matters is that there's somebody that's coming in there that can really take them from the deepest, darkest place that they've probably ever been and or at least for that moment that their life has been turned literally upside down and I'm there to impart my clinical knowledge and my caring. And that for me is selfishly, that's what life is about. And I say that because I saw my family members not receive that. Mm. So how do
1: you do that? How do you relate to these people? How do you make them feel comfortable? Is it walk in with a smile? Is it just ask them about their day? That's, That's a, a
0: great question. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all of that. Being relatable and learning how to read a room is something that most people don't know how yeah. to do. <clears throat> For me, it was something that I had to learn how to do. As I said before, I started out as the three-year-old in kindergarten. I remember when I went back to my uh, 20 year high school reunion, everyone was talking about how they're turning 40 and I said, I wasn't. So what do you mean? And I told them my age and here's people that were in the same class with me from sixth grade already to 12. And I said, you never knew I was younger than you? They said, we just thought you were short, you know? And again, they didn't take the time to get to know me, to know my story, to know anything about me. The reason why I say is, it's a little bit of all of what you said, Adam, is that the room is different Not for every person. This room is different for every person at any given time.
1: Ooh, expand on that because I think that's that's deep.
0: When you enter the room, the first thing, again, as an ER doc, you watch these shows, it's very rare that something needs to happen immediately. The first thing that I need to do, no different than this, is I need you to be able to trust me with the most valuable asset that you have, your health your kid's health, you know, your mom's health. And I understand, that's that word. You have to develop a word of level of understanding. Again, life is not about agreeing with somebody's opinion, whether it's politically, uh, financially, health-wise. What is learning to come to a level, a a certain level of understanding as to why they are who they are, what makes them tick. So when I walk in a room, I may see that, I just happen to think that person with that Gucci bag and that first thing, these are things in the room that one may call superficial one may call but it's important to him or her the first thing that i need to do is say you know what you are important and whatever is important to you is important to me so if i come in there and say oh look at that i like that bag that's my icebreaker because she has to trust me i have always realized that guess what i was an attending i was a young black male and people are going to look at me different i'm going to have a stain on me that people are going to look at me different and I need to develop the narrative for them that I want to be developed. So my entrance matters. You know, it's so interesting.
1: So a lot of things that you're talking about are these, these quote unquote soft skills. I hate that term, right? but it sounds like this skill set that you're, you know, giving a lot of credence to your success is these soft skills. You know, this ability to, you know, again, read the room, Uh, You know, small talk, you know, I always say small talk is the big talk, you know, or can lead to the big things. And ultimately what it's doing is positioning you to develop trust. And, you know, in my humble opinion, Trust is the holy grail, right? right. If, if people you know know you, they'll talk to you. If they like you, maybe they'll spend some time with you. But if they trust you, that's where the magic happens. That's where they're going to feel comfortable. They're going to listen to you. They're going to hear your advice. Yeah, it's really important that you you know, kind of highlight that. And I, I think that that's missed
0: by a lot of people in your field. No offense. No, I agree. I take no offense. That's why it's so important for me to make sure that my colleagues, my teammates, I'll use that word my teammates, the nurses, the docs, the PAs, the nurse practitioners realize that it's important. Um, And again, it's called a soft skill. For me, it's just being kind to people, being relatable. How
1: important did sports play in your ability to connect with people and to you know, kind
0: of do what you've been able to do throughout the years. It taught me what trust really is and what trust looks like. I happen to come from a very loving family. So I knew what trust looked like and having the biggest cheerleaders in your life that truly care in that world, fortunately. So that's something that I've never had to. And it would be difficult for me to relate in that regard. But in terms of trust... Since I knew what it looked like and felt like, I know what it's like to not only trust my teammate, for them to trust me, to show up on time, to give my best. And sometimes before I even got a chance to get on the field or on the ice or on the court, you know, on the pitch. And I say these terms because I played a lot of sports. Before you even get a chance to do your fill in the blank, your sport, your craft, you first got to show up if they can't trust that you are going to be there and give your best, which first comes from showing up and being ready, then you leave room for a story to be developed. Create your own story that you want to be not only told, but more importantly, received by your audience. Your audience could be your friends, it could be your kids, it could be your wife, your husband, your partner, your whoever. But that destiny should be something that should be crafted by yourself and you should take accountability to this is exactly how I want my story to be received Mm. it may be received different it may not but this is how I want it to be received I understand the stereotypes in the world that's great but I'm not going to use that as an excuse why I cannot but I'm going to go out of my way if I need to because it's that important for me to develop the narrative that I want to be developed Mm. someone can say you know what Every other five eight 24 year old physician that's black and bald-headed and look like he's 12 may act like this but Corey doesn't.
1: How much would you say is brand management so this is your brand right that you've and planning and all
0: those other things how would you It's literally everything mm. as my dad says again I, I refer to my dad a lot it's not that I didn't have a relationship with my mom my mom is she taught me how to love my dad taught me how to execute how to be. Son, discipline is what determines your destiny and not your desire. And it was to the point where sometimes it was all, he was almost cold in a loving way. Hey, dad, I want to do this. Hey, dad, I want to do that. So what's your plan? And I come up with a plan. I said, dad, I want to do this. And this is my plan. This is my plan. Have you executed it yet? Have you done it yet? And it was never to take the wind out of my sail, but it's to realize that. And I look back, he showed me his high school yearbook, he's been the same consistent person. That's another word, consistency. His yearbook, there was a quote that he wrote and was typed in there. Don't be all talk and no action. This is this guy who's 78 now writing this as a 17-year-old kid or 18-year-old kid. He's the same person. He was raising me to be, is not one that just dreams. You have to have dreams. Dreams is a preview of the world to come. That's essentially what a dream is. You know, you're a little preview to the world to come, but what's your plan to get there? Mm. And for me, my brand management, let's talk about these little terms, you know, my brand management has been just that, being very aware of who I am, who I need to change and what I need to change about myself and making sure the narrative that's delivered and received is consistent with What I want to deliver at that given time. Because like you said, every time is different when I enter a room. Mm. Every time is different when I meet somebody. You know, and it's all authentically me, but they're different versions of me, which we all have. And if we don't realize, we all have different versions of ourselves. It's knowing what version you want to deliver and or be received at that given time. Can you expand on that? Because I think you're touching on something really
1: important when you say different versions of
0: you. I'm different at home than I am at work, than I am at play, than I am at, and again, it's not being, it's not being inauthentic. It's being, again, who I want to be at that given time, and they're all me. Personally, and again, I don't knock someone that has a homogeneous background or friends. My friends are also that. They come from every background, socioeconomically, race, religion, sexual preference that you can imagine. And they and I have different intimate relationships with each and every one of them. And I use the word intimate because it's authentic who I am with them at any given time. No different than when I'm in a room with a patient, when I'm playing on a soccer field, when I walk into a room. It's really understanding that sometimes... The person or the people that you're with need a different version of you at that given time. That's a great way of phrasing it.
1: I love that, actually. Um, Any examples come to mind?
0: I have one that happened in the last 12 hours. (laughs) I I, uh, last night came back from working, you know, in this semi-retired state. Didn't eat the entire day. And I got a text message from a buddy saying, do you have time to talk? Normally, we chop it up and we talk about, you know, all kinds of things, you know, from sports. Last night, he didn't need to talk. He needed a listener. He happens to be a dean at a school um, and lost, by way of car accident, one of his students. And he came home and he was not only frustrated by his emotions and hurt by his emotions, But when he came home, his spouse didn't give him what he needed. What he needed wasn't a lecture. What he needed wasn't any comfort in food. And he said out loud, I just needed my wife to give me a hug. And she just wasn't empathetic. That word empathy is something, to me, that's important. That's what reading a room is about. How to be relatable. Even if you can't be relatable at that particular time, sometimes, like you said before, Adam, ask, what do you need? And sometimes you have to be that direct if you truly care and you don't know what version of you that person needs. Do they need someone to give advice? Do they need someone to just offload? From me, he didn't need a hug. From his wife, he needed a hug. What he needed from me is just to be In a space that's safe that he could just offload because that particular time he walked into the room and said, it's just been a rough day. Do you
1: always have this uh, high level of EQ or is this something that you've really focused on building?
0: No, I've not always had this high level of EQ. You know, I think that I've been blessed with that's been my sixth sense of uh, not only being convivial, but also being able to connect. But I've often, and my wife would tell you, (laughs) not had the EQ that she needed or my kids needed at that particular time. I think as we all grow throughout life, because I have a long way to go, we all do, is really understanding that, oh, I didn't give the version of me that does exist at that particular time. I think about when my wife's father passed away and she was 25, her father passed away and Here I was. I'm helping her. We're dating. I did this. I went, oh, and I've done this. And I thought that she didn't need any of that. What she needed was someone to just give a listening ear. And as we move through life, whether it's business, work, play, it's really understanding not only the versions of yourself that you have and you develop, but like I said, what version of you does your audience And again, I hate to put it this way, but you're on stage all the time. It's a great way of putting it. I love that. You know,
1: it's funny. um, It's not funny, but you mentioned the word empathy. And I heard somebody describe empathy one time as caring about what the people you care about care about. Bingo. (laughs) It's simply that simple. Simply that simple. (laughs) Caring about what the people that you care about care about. Yeah. 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 I love that. So, okay. So 16 years old, you're going to college for medicine. You knew it. You graduate early. You do your residency at 26 when most people are in their thirties. You get out, you choose emergency medicine, clearly a great choice, uh, probably as a result of some pretty good planning, which it sounds like you've always done a really good job at. Um, What was the most challenging part of the work that you were doing? Was it the hours? Was it just seeing what people were going through? Is it it an aggregate of everything? Or what am I missing?
0: It's all a lot. People say that, oh, emergency medicine has got to be stressful. What's the worst thing you've seen? And I've heard it all, you know. But when I sit back and really think about what I do for a living, I walk into a room, unlike most doctor's offices, they say, okay, I look at my chart. Adam's coming in to see me. Corey's coming in to see me. He has said said complaints, said problems. I walk into a room, pull back the curtain, and I have no clue what's behind that door. That person could start out angry, they can start out happy, they could be crying, they could be dead, and it's that that wide. I literally have no clue. So the first thing, again, in terms of what's difficult is reading the room. And for me, if I can read that kind of room, walking into a club and you need to figure out what's going on or walking into a, a meeting, I always say, well, if I can do this at work, well, this is easy. I'm not going to be intimidated by that interview because I'm in a really tough space at work. But even still back to your question of what's the hardest part? The hardest part is really making sure I make every single room, every single person, every single moment important at that time. And it's not that I'm forgetting about the rest, but I have to really compartmentalize and say, at this particular time, this is the version of me that this person needs, this family member needs, this nurse needs, my teammate needs. They've done studies that most emergency physicians get distracted on average 200 times per shift. Whew. Excuse me for saying shift, that's just how I think. We're a blue-collar doc, so you know we think of the shifts we work, yeah. uh, my 12-hour shift. But that that some people find difficult is the most difficult time i can think of you going in and you losing that four-year-old kid his name and his face just flash in front of my eyes today and i remember going in and you lose him. you first think about what you did right what you did wrong because you have done something better and within 30 seconds the nurse says hey Corey, you need to come into the room da-da-da-da. and You start shedding your tears. You look in the corner. You physically shake it off. And I have to walk in a room the next room say, hey, how you doing, Dr. Smith? Pleasure to meet you. How are you? And it's not me being inauthentic. It's not me putting this show. It's really that. And I have to, for a moment, I have to forget about it Mm. because I'm not going to be the best version of myself as a professional, as a physician that I need to be. And it's not normal for people to be able to do that. Yeah. Let me change it up for you.
1: Advice. What advice would you? Give? I've been to the ER multiple times, unfortunately. What advice would you give people that are going to the ER? Because obviously, there's different levels. You know, I've I've gone where literally I had an artery erupt in my throat, mm. where it's like you know level ten, right? You know, I've right. been there when we're like really sick, you know, where you're but you just you know maybe your doctor's not available. You know, any any advice, because you can go to these ER and, you know, there could be, you know, some people, the ER is their primary care. Right. You know, and you're showing up, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the Gucci person that right. that you're you're on the same playing field as the person who's using this as their primary care. But any advice, any suggestions for those to get the proper attention without being rude, without coming off as uppity, whatever that might be. Right. When you're so I'd love to get your perspective on that and advice on how to <laughs> I don't even know. Navigate why. the healthcare yeah, system. Yeah, that's a thank you. For, I get it.
0: I get it. You know, first of all, is really understanding that room that you're in. You as the patient read in the room. Ooh. When you look across and you see that homeless person with no legs and not to sound, you know, grotesque, but there's maggots coming out of a wound five feet from you or the person is running around because they're high on PCP and they're running around the emergency department naked. And yes, you do have your little one there and you don't want them to see that. Give the people that team that's their little grace. And that's something that I try to do Almost everywhere I am, as much as we all get frustrated and we want to complain, give them a little bit of grace, more likely than not, that person is on their 12th hour. And I say that because we work 12 hour shifts and sometimes even more, more likely than not, that nurse has nine other patients that aren't doing well, and she or he also has a lot going on in their home. Just give them a little grace, first of all. And remember that, yes, as I tell my docs and the staff that that patient is just being normal because for him or her, their minor wound is likely the worst thing that ever happened to them. So our docs and our nurses need to give you grace also, But just back to your question, what could you do to navigate it? Start with that. Dr. So-and-so, I know you may be busy. Or how's your day? Or something along those lines, first before you unload. That's great advice. And the reason why I say that, in a short 20 years of doing this, seeing over 120,000 patients, I can probably count on one hand how many people, patients, and or administrators, and or doctors stop to ask me that. I know that because I'm taken back because, first of all, somebody cared, even for a millisecond, more about themselves to ask me whether being genuine or not. I don't know. And I really don't care because for a moment it gave me two seconds to also say, you know what, great, bad, unload, but wow. Let me really redirect my attention to someone that I'm caring for that has a little bit of care and concern about me. That's funny. That's great advice. And I think that that applies to everything, right? Yep. Like, th- I mean,
1: I just was on a flight last night, got in late. I'd asked the, uh, you know, the flight attendant just, just making small talk while I was waiting on the line and just saying, you know, uh, seems like a slow day. It, it wasn't, we were delayed a couple hours, all this kind of stuff. And and just asked how, you know, the rest of the day, or, or I would actually asked how the previous day, because there's a lot of issues with weather, what like we talked about earlier, and then uh later on the attendant kind of like side-handed me like an extra bag of pretzels <laughs> you, right. you know not that you're looking for anything but no. just that little thing you know they were because they'd also made an announcement how they didn't have uh they'd run out of food too so right. they couldn't serve food so this was that
0: attendant's nice way of saying hey thank you for asking me about my day thank you for remembering me thank you for turning me in not to a widget or taking me from a widget or random to making me a person being humane, showing that sense of humanism, and I think we as people—not even in the emergency department as a patient—we as people, we forget. And again, we just happened to be at the time where there was a uh, unfortunate event in NFL to a player. And I said, that's not a patient. That's not a football player. That's somebody's kid. He's a twenty-four-year-old kid. That flight attendant. Guess what? That's somebody's mom. That's somebody's wife. Would you speak to? Would you want someone to speak to your wife in a negative way? Would you want someone to yell at your twenty-two-year-old daughter that started her new job as a flight attendant and yelled at that way? And I think sometimes we all forget that that is a human. That's not somebody with that uniform on or that 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 white coat or that flight attendant outfit or that captain. They're not here as your servant. That's they're doing a job, but they happen to be a human first. They too are stuck in traffic. Mm. They are too trying to get home to their family. So you're not the only one whose day's been derailed. They should have been home to open those Christmas gifts with their kid, but they also could not. So if we sit back and give those people that is that are serving us, it must that's what we all do as we walk by, you know. Adam I saw someone in the hallway today that you know what? You you waved at. Just said good morning. You might be the only one that waves at her today. As sad as that may sound, when she goes off into her apartment, she may not have another person to share life with, a dog, a book. We have no idea what people are going through. We all wear this shell. And sometimes the smallest gestures by making her a little laugh. You know, that's what I do in medicine. I say, you know what, I try to add a little levity to every experience To take something that someone thought was going to be horrible or not possible and make it, you know, I went to the ER last night and it wasn't that bad. (laughs) Well, it wasn't busy. Oh, it was super busy. It was terrible. And there was a smell, but it wasn't that bad. What happened? Yeah, I need to search, but it wasn't that bad. If you can change that one, that narrative, even one time, somebody develops hope. They develop a new version of the emergency department, a new version of, oh, neighbors in the buildings are horrible. You just made the fact that you're her neighbor. You know what? Being neighbors, having neighbors in the city, it's not that bad. They speak. They say hello. And as a patient, as a consumer, we're all consumers. We consume coffee. We consume this. We go to grocery store. I would really like to tell people that Your life is going to get better because in my opinion, you feel more fulfilled and blessed because you're always adding something to someone and you realize that it actually adds a lot to you. That's great. It's uh, kind of
1: like uh, the small talk is the big talk. Well, the little things are the big things.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow.
1: So as as we bring this to a close, Corey, I got to tell you, you're just an awesome human being. Uh, I want to give a big shout out actually to Eric Ree, our mutual Absolutely. friend who introduced yeah. us. Good uh, guy. You know, Eric um was at one of these lunches that 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 I host, these private lunches. And, you know, as soon as this thing wrapped up, he's like, You gotta meet, you gotta meet Corey. He's like, this guy's dynamic. He's he's someone that you want to know. And someone, and you came, you exceeded expectations. I appreciate that. It's been awesome to have you on the show, to learn your story, to share all these nuggets of wisdom. You know, we're talking about branding. We're talking about planning. We're talking about, you know, the little things being the big things. We're talking about building trust, making people feel comfortable, you know, uh, as keys to the success that you have had. You know, you really didn't talk about you know, how even though you're incredibly hardworking and intelligent, you didn't even talk about the medicine. You talked, again, getting back to some of these other things that have really made you uh, successful and to position you where you are today. So, again, I really thank you for making today happen and uh, and for coming on the show.
0: I appreciate you. I appreciate you. You know, um, I guess the answer or to, to really address me talking about the medicine, I just happen to be a doctor. We all just happen to be our career chosen profession. For me, being a physician is not what makes me. Being the kindest individual, and I think that's the way I was raised. Parents, People always say, your parents must be proud of you. You played for us professionally. You're a doctor. Yeah, I think they are, but they would always tell me, were you kind to somebody? As a young kid, My mom would say this, but it didn't really hit. It hasn't resonated until I now have my daughters that one day you're gonna have kids. And she would say that. I said, mom, you're always helping somebody. She said, son, one day you may have kids and you hope that somebody looks out for your children. And now being uh, that father, I just wanna close on saying, you know what? Again, it doesn't always come back to you directly. You may sit down, Adam, one day, and your daughters, you know, I see that they either love soccer or play soccer or both. They're off somewhere. They could be playing intramural. They could be playing professionally. Someone, they're going to be rushing and someone just, hey, ma'am, you forgot your bag or you forgot that. And you may never know about this, but somebody did something kind for your kid. And you said, you know, what? I spent a lifetime being the best person that I could at least that day, that given time. And it was paid back to me by somebody being kind to my wife or my kid. And that's what life is really about.
1: That is beautiful. What better way to end? Thank you, Corey. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will NetworkWise.